Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Our panelists tonight are Kimberly Cabe from our Clarkston and Rochester Hills locations and Tracy Alashevsky from our Madison Clinic. Kimberly is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with an incredibly diverse background in healthcare of nearly 20 years. She began her career as a registered nurse working in inpatient home health and hospice settings and went on to obtain her master's degree in nursing and integrative medicine. She has a deep understanding of biotoxicity, environmental illness, weight loss, hormones, and chronic inflammatory responses to mold. Lyme, and other biotoxic exposures, including COVID-19. Tracy is an adult gerontology acute care nurse practitioner with a unique passion for helping patients find the root cause of their health issues and digging deep to restore their quality of life. Tracy specializes in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, menopause, thyroid conditions, gut health, and medical weight loss. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for speaking with tonight. Like I said, tonight is ladies night and we really are going to be discussing all things weight loss, hormones, nutritional needs, and gut health after the age of 40. You know, as we age, weight loss can become increasingly difficult. Hormones fluctuate, our body's needs are changing, and gut health becomes even more critical to overall health. So if you're feeling frustrated with any of these things, you're in the right place. We're going to provide insight to what you're experiencing, how all three are connected, and leave you with proven solutions that have helped thousands of women. So Kimberly, to start, what are the main challenges women over 40 face when it comes to sustainable weight loss, especially during perimenopause and menopause? Well, several things happen as women are moving through the menopausal transition. For some women, estradiol, estrogen, and progesterone levels start to fall pretty quickly, and that um, brings the metabolism down, increases the amount of fat in the viscera and around the abdomen, which increases the risk for cardiovascular disease down the road. For some women, progesterone levels fall rapidly, but estrogen actually doesn't, and they become estrogen dominant. In an estrogen dominant state, you also gain weight around the middle, and you have um, a neg negative effect on the metabolism. We also know that getting older as women is not, it's not easy. Um, usually there's a lot of stress and if stress hormones are playing a role, then not only will your female hormones be altered and your stress hormones altered, but also your thyroid hormones will be altered. So the hormones are a grand symphony that rely on each other. And as they start to shift, you really need a comprehensive approach to managing all of those to maintain weight loss. Absolutely. And Tracy, how important is gut health for weight loss? And what are some very simple steps women can take to improve their gut health? Yeah, I feel like um, <clears throat> in integrative and functional medicine, we really emphasize how important gut health is. So, you know, understanding that there, there's a gut-brain connection, right? Or that a lot of people will say the gut's the second brain. Um, <clears throat> you know, serotonin, our happy hormone, is is made in our, 90% of that's made in our gut, have, you know, houses our immune system. So, 
understanding how important it is, but we also need to understand that digestion and absorption and detoxing out, right? Actually going to the bathroom every single day is so important. That's how we detox our hormones. That's how we detox our toxins, right? So, and amongst other ways, but so important to make sure that you're absorbing actually the foods that you're eating. So you get those nutrients, which are important for mitochondrial cell health, right? So um, just and, you know, and it gets down to like a cellular level of, you know, kind of circulating endotoxins. If you have, you know, chronic gut dysbiosis, which I feel like most of us probably walk around with a little bit of too much of the bad bacteria, not enough of the good. So, um, you know, it's always in that first, when we're, when we're talking with our patients, understanding like where they're at, we want a really uh, well-functioning gut, one to two bowel movements a day. Um, <clears throat> I always say bloating and distension is not normal. So, um, you know, understanding, you know, from dietary perspective, like what are some simple things you can do? Make sure you're going to the bathroom every single day. If you're not, I mean, we do a lot of, I do a lot of gut testing. I look at a lot of stool tests. So there's these things that we can do to look at, you know, the physiology of the gut and what's actually happening there. Are you absorbing, digesting the foods that you're eating? Um, there's an enzyme that I'll often look at called the beta-glucuronidase, which is produced by the short chain fatty acids or those good bacteria in the gut. And so often you'll see that beta-glucuronidase is, is elevated. And so if that's happening, right, I can tell you that you're probably somebody who is recirculating toxins and hormones. So, so important to have a well-functioning gut. Um, you know, I always say just staying away from inflammatory foods, gluten and dairy are going to be number one and two. Um, and just kind of listening to yourself, understanding like what are those foods that are more irritating um, and just in kind of going from there, there's beautiful supplements that we can always add into like glutamine or, um, you know, marshmallow root, aloe vera, those things that can be very calming, but it's, it's always trying to get to the, the cause. Chronic constipation is not, is not a good thing. So. No, and no, very frustrating. None of us want that. Um, to go along with gut health, I'm really curious, Kimberly, about toxins in the body. I know um, Tracy just touched upon that. I've heard that when your body is toxic with environmental chemicals, mold, maybe underlying inflammation, it's harder to lose weight and the toxins can actually become stored in your fat. Can you maybe explain this a little bit farther? Sure. So for us as mammals, our liver likes to package toxins into fat cells to protect us from those toxins. So generally when the liver sees toxins come in, if it has the time to metabolize in it and get rid of those, it will. If it doesn't because you just ate or because you had too many toxins today already, it will package it in a fat cell. And sometimes that fat cell sits on the liver itself, giving you non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mostly it goes to the viscera around all of the abdominal organs. And that is metabolic active fat, meaning it generates its own inflammatory cytokines to generate systemic inflammation in the body. So if you're losing weight and you're not addressing toxicity, it is very easy to quickly regain that weight because the liver wants to put those toxins right back where it had it. You were protected when they were in the fat cells. If you start breaking open fat cells and toxins start to come out more rapidly, the body will want to halt that. So that's why so many women find themselves in a plateau very early in a weight loss journey because they're not addressing detoxification. And detoxification is supported through gut health, through liver health, through just getting good nutrition. All of the things that you use to process toxins come from your food, B vitamins, magnesium, all of the minerals, the amino acids. Um, so making sure that you have a gut that can digest and absorb and then trying to limit your toxic exposures. So there's many things we're exposed to that we can't control, but there are things that we can control. The kind of cosmetics that we use, what we wash our hair with, whether we dye our hair with something natural or something synthetic. Um, the things that you have in your yard, do you spray Roundup or do you use a natural weed control method? 
all of these things contribute to um, toxicity. And in the modern world, toxicity has become more of an issue than it ever has been. Yeah, it seems to be everywhere in our food, our air, our water. It's it's almost hard to get away from it sometimes. Um, but thanks so much for explaining that. I think that that helps a lot. And a lot of people don't realize that you're not maybe losing weight because you are holding on to toxins. Um, Tracy, I'm curious, how can women, what can they do to adjust their diets to support sustainable weight loss? And is this important at this stage of life for women? Yeah, I think, um you know, from a dietary perspective, <clears throat> I think there's no diet in regards to like, you know, um, the type of diet that the patient wants to, you know, there's no one that's going to fit, no, no one size fits all is what I'm trying to say. I think in general, the more, um, you know, I always say like a, a good paleo diet is where you kind of want to start, right? Because you stay away from the processed things, the things that are full of the bad things. Um, and then um, for weight loss, I always kind of uh, share this little uh, tidbit with somebody. I think it'll resonate with a lot of my patients who say like, I think about you every time I uh, go to eat. So, um, you know, I think about, I always say like blood sugar stabilization is probably the key to longevity. Um, and so if you think about women who are having a hard time losing weight, we always talk and we're kind of addressing that now, right? It's thyroid, it's hormones, it's blood sugar, insulin resistance, and these things that, you know, are so, so important. So if you think about a diet, I mean, you can always map out your, and we have beautiful health coaches that this is so helpful for, but if you want to map out your macros, you can do that to just, you know, to map out your protein and your carbs and things like that. But Overall, if you just talk about a blood sugar stabilization diet, how do we do that, right? So um, biggest things are important, like the, the keys to that are a, a good protein, protein, good fats, water, exercise, right? Things that are gonna increase those GLUT4 receptors to take the blood sugar out of where it is and put it to where it's supposed to go. So, so important to keep that mindset. Um, you know, if you're going to have a high carb meal, I think you need carbs, the brain needs carbs, you need sugar, but we want to balance it out with that protein, with those good fats. So if you sit down at a meal, have the carb, but couple it with those other things, because that is how you stabilize your, your postprandial, your blood sugars. And that's how you not, you don't store fat that way. So, so important to keep you mitochondrial and metabolically efficient, which is how we keep weight. It's how we lose weight, but also keep weight off. Right. That's great. Kimberly, I keep hearing that women need more protein as they age, which Tracy just touched upon, uh, especially if they want to lose weight. Is this true? And how much do women need? This is true, Britt. Um, a couple of things happen as we get older. As we get older, we utilize protein less effectively. So we get protein into our body, but it doesn't generate as big of a response as it does when we're younger. And also your stomach acid production or hydrochloric acid production drops as we age, generally about 10% for every decade of life. So breaking down proteins into amino acids requires hydrochloric acid. So we do need more protein as we get older and generally you know, for normal weight women under 40, it's somewhere between 60 and 75 grams a day. The studies that I've looked at show that it's much better at 92 to 120 grams per day for older women, um, starting at the perimenopausal time frame, moving through the elderly time frame. Wow, that's a lot. You don't realize that sometimes, you know, it's, it's difficult to get protein and healthy fats into your, uh, your day um, and into every meal. So that's really helpful to know. Um, Tracy, you touched upon exercise before. Are there any specific types of exercise that are particularly effective for women over 40? I think this is so patient specific. <clears throat> um, you know, if you listen to a lot of the longevity gurus or, uh, doctors who providers who have been doing this a long time, you know, muscle is kind of the, um, the, the, 
the currency of longevity, right? So understanding that lean muscle mass is so important. Um, but if you, I mean, I have a lot of CrossFit athletes and a lot of, I mean, even like Olympic lifters, right? They come into me and I can tell that, you know, their adrenals, which is what gives us our cortisol and our stress hormone, like they're they're already stressed out from, from work life, family, those external stressors, right? Um, and if they're going to hit like a, they're going to do a really hard workout, I always say like, if you don't feel kind of those endorphins after a workout, if you don't feel good after a workout, your body's trying to tell you something right now. So in general, I say movement is key, right? You need to keep moving. Walking is like the number one thing we can do to actually burn fat, burn fat at a steady state. Um, and outside of that, if your body is ready for those other, you know, those high intensity interval workouts or, or weightlifting for sure. I mean, that's so, so important for longevity and anti-aging um, and weight loss, right? But um, you have to understand like where you're at. So if you're somebody whose adrenals are on fire, I like to say, uh, we got to support those adrenals, support your cortisol, find those other lifestyle things that we can do. Um, and then we can, we can go into the, you know, the higher intensity workouts. That's great. Uh, Kimberly, how important is sleep for weight loss and what can women do to improve the quality of their sleep? Um, sleep is vital to weight loss. You actually burn fat during sleep, uh, specifically during delta wave sleep at night. So if you're not getting good quality sleep for a long enough period of time, you'll find it very, very difficult to sustainably lose weight. Um, there are a lot of things that disturb our quality of sleep, you know, looking at your laptop, your phone, having fluorescent lights after the sun goes down. When the sun goes down, that's the signal to your brain to start bringing melatonin up and to let cortisol drop to its lowest point. So if you continually bombard your eyes with blue light, then you get no melatonin signal and you perpetuate this cortisol signal. So just general sleep hygiene, winding things down earlier, not working in the bedroom, making sure the bedroom is a quiet and safe place, um, avoiding caffeine too late in the day. Um, for women who are especially stressed, even with great sleep hygiene, you can still find it difficult to get delta wave sleep at night if cortisol is riding too high. So addressing cortisol with things like phosphatidylserine, ashwagandha, um, you know, things that calm the body down and relax the body. Even just a really good dose of magnesium will help burn through a little cortisol at night to let you sleep better. But you must achieve delta wave sleep. And for a lot of us, that doesn't happen just because we're riding with too much cortisol on a daily basis. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're all addicted, all addicted to our screens. You know, <laughs> going off of cortisol, Tracy, I'm curious, what role does stress and cortisol levels play in weight loss and how can women manage stress a little bit better to support weight loss goals? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so with my patients, I kind of map out hormone balancing in the in the body, right? So it comes down to thyroid, adrenals, which is cortisol, um, sex hormones, the estrogens, the progesterone, the testosterone, and then blood sugar, insulin resistance. So with cortisol, I always put it in a red box because we can optimize, we can 100% optimize these, these other hormones on the body because hormones are in pretty much every single cell receptor of the body except for red blood cells. So if if we are not, so I can optimize everything else, but if cortisol, that stress hormone, if we can't figure out how to how to get on top of that and, and support your adrenals or support that cortisol level, it doesn't matter what we do, right? You're, you're, it's gonna be a hard time balancing things out. 
So, you know, kind of as Kimberly was saying, you know, as cortisol goes up, what happens next is, um, you know, thyroid hormone usually goes down and blood sugar will spike. And it's kind of this repetitive thing that happens. So it's so important. Um, it's those lifestyle things that we have to do. It's it's the meditation. It's the walking. It's it's actually um, uh, walking was actually shown in evidence to support cortisol better than a lot of other things. Right. If you can do it first thing when the sun comes out to get the melatonin and the vitamin D, it's like a beautiful little concoction that happens. But um but I think it's so important to, to figure out what it is on a daily basis that's going to help you kind of reset and kind of uh, give your adrenals a little bit of a break. Um, and so finding what that is, um, is so important. And then I always talk about internal stressors too. We have external stressors, which are work, life, family, all those things. And then internal stressors would be, you know, I have a heavy toxic load or I, I have a chronic gut infection or my hormones are way off. So it's it's tackling it from both ends, but it's so important because we're going to store more weight as our cortisol is, is high and staying high. Yeah, that makes sense. Kimberly, what are some common misconceptions about weight loss that women over 40 should be aware of? I think the most common misconception that I come across in my practice is that calories in, calories out means something reasonable. Um, that was the, a very 1980s approach before we understood that metabolism is um, a symphony of many different hormones and it's regulated in the brain. And if hormones are out of balance, you can restrict calories as much as you want and that's not going to generate sustainable weight loss. It's actually going to work against you. So calorie restriction in the long term leads to lower metabolism, faster plateaus and yo-yo dieting. But if we can um, manipulate the diet, get rid of things that spike the blood sugar, get rid of inflammatory foods, while we also correct the things that are going on underneath the surface, then we can generate sustainable weight loss so that you don't have to keep going on a diet over and over, right? Find the diet that works for your body as well as correcting the imbalances that are lying underneath that weight gain. People don't gain weight just because they overeat. As a matter of fact, many, many people have become obese with without ever overeating in their lifetime. It's because they have toxic exposures. It's because they have hormonal imbalances. It's because we're passing on epigenetic changes that are making it harder and harder to reduce insulin spikes and blood sugar spikes. That's become more difficult through the generations, um, the most recent generations. So weight loss, and, and the other thing I would say is that weight loss is not your, I mean, weight gain is not your fault. Weight gain happens when things are out of balance. So our job is just to get things back in balance. So many times women feel personally responsible and guilty for having gained weight when nobody does it intentionally, right? It just happens with the things that are going on in your life. Right. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. Because I think a lot of people, that is a huge misconception, calories in, calories out. But um, that's great to know that it's not your fault. It's just an imbalance <laughs> that of course you both can help um, patients with, which is wonderful. Tracy, what do you feel is the best way to track progress and measure success when it comes to weight loss? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I always tell my patients, you know, I don't believe in getting on the scale every single day, right? It's, it's, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to measure yourself once a week, right, do it at the same time every single day. I really think a lot of my patients benefit from like actually like logging and journaling and saying like how they're feeling from day to day. Um, I always say if the scale isn't moving, right, don't perseverate on the scale. We want to, we want to understand like inches, right? If you're, if your scale is not moving, but your clothes are fitting better, right? That's straight fat loss. And so, um, you know, the other thing that we have, which has been a, beautiful addition um, is is an in-body scale. I don't know if Kimberly, if you guys have one at your clinic, but an in-body is beautiful. Um, and it's, it has uh, so many, um, so an in-body scale, 
basically will map out your, you know, your skeletal, skeletal muscle mass, your lean body fat, or your body fat percentage. Um, so it's just a whole lot of information. Um, I had a patient actually yesterday in clinic that um, she's worked so hard. She's doing so many great things and she's lost uh, like 38 pounds, um, but she, she's been plateaued for the last couple of weeks and she's been kind of like really, um, really sad about it. And I, we put her back on the in body and we compared, you know, it was literally like two and a half months ago and, you know, her, She'd only dropped a couple pounds, but her skeletal or her lean muscle mass had increased so much and her body fat percentage went down substantially. So it's like, it, the scale is a, it's a horrible measure, right? So when you have these other things that you can do, um, those are, I mean, I think, I think the in-body is, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it does show you the true progress you've made other than just pounds loss. Um, and it is a pretty incredible device. Um, so now I'd like to touch upon the weight loss medication that everybody seems to be talking about on social media, which of course is semaglutide, the generic name brand of uh, Ozempic and Wagovi. I'm sure many of our audience members um, are familiar with it. For those who are not, Kimberly, can you tell us what is semaglutide and how does it work? And more importantly, is it safe? I call it semaglutide. I apologize for it. Tomato, tomato. I don't think there's an appropriate way. That's okay. <laughs> um, semaglutide is a peptide that encourages particular hormonal changes in the body to reduce the appetite. It reduces appetite. It also slows down how fast your stomach empties and how quickly the GI tract is moving. So it reduces GI motility. So you stay fuller longer after you've eaten. You're hungry less often. And um, it also reduces some systemic inflammation and helps rebalance glucose insulin um, imbalances and to help reduce some of the inflammation that modern life has given us. Inflammation is one of the most common causes for weight loss resistance. Even when you're doing all the best things, inflammation will be in your way. So it is safe. Um, it's been studied for several, several years. It was approved for lifelong use for diabetics. Um, for weight loss, we don't uh, we don't need it for that for that long at all. But for weight loss, it's a tool to give you the opportunity to adjust your lifestyle and your diet to where it needs to be for you, while we also address all the other things that are going on underneath the surface. And then once you're finished with the tool, you just maintain the lifestyle that you've created and keep, and perpetuate the, those habits moving forward. That's great. Um, Tracy, how do you incorporate some glutide into the mix of balancing your hormones and getting great gut health and also detoxifying the body. How do they all work together? Yeah, so that that kind of goes back to my my diagram of of understanding that the body is not is very smart, right? It's it's all related, it's always talking um, to each other. Hormones are like these little really effective communicators around the body. And so um, I always address all of them when I'm looking at you know my new patients uh, labs it's really understanding we got to we got to get a really complete picture of all these so um, with semen glutide it's been actually an absolute game changer I feel like in the peptide world of things anyway um, you know as you're decreasing the reason the way I kind of kind of going off uh, Kimberly talking about this too like the way I kind of explain it is um, if you looked at the studies of, of semen glutide initially right <clears throat> all the inflammatory markers are improving. And I've seen it time and time again on labs that I, I review. Um, so all the inflammatory markers are improving with the side effect of weight loss. <clears throat> so I think, um, you know, I, I couple it with, yeah, peptides are beautiful, they're awesome, they're nice, um, and they can do so many great things, but we have to address these other things as well, because once you come off semaglutide, once, you know, the reason that you've had troubles either 
losing weight or you lose weight and you get it back is because we're not under we're not addressing these underlying hormonal imbalances toxins or these other things right so it's a beautiful adjunct for sure it you know i love it so much um but you have to it's it's a beautiful thing to add right you have to address it all right that makes sense kimberly you you touch upon a little bit but what are the full benefits of someone going on semaglutide especially a woman over the age of 40. So many benefits, honestly. So as Tracy just mentioned, it, there's a significant reduction in inflammatory markers and reducing inflammation is key to helping a woman or a man lose weight. Um, women tend to um, tend to accumulate inf inflammation over their lifetime. I mean, what do women do? Everything. We do everything, right? We think we're yeah. super women, so we push ourselves to do everything. I'm going to have a family and a husband and a full-time job, and sure, let me go back to school at the same time. So we yes. push our bodies really hard, um, and we end up in a pretty a pretty dangerous place once we get to perimenopause and the menopausal status, just because of all the hormonal imbalance. So what I love about semeglutide is that it really gives you the freedom to drastically change your lifestyle, your dietary habits, your even your exercise habits, without feeling like you're suffering, without feeling like you're depriving yourself, without hating every minute of it because you're just not hungry. So that gives you a lot of space to make the changes that need to be made while also reducing inflammation, rebalancing blood sugar and insulin spiking, um, and allowing us in the meantime to work on the background things while still generating weight loss. So many patients think that if they come in for weight loss, they should see that first. But many times when people come in for weight loss, what they see first is us addressing their gut and their hormones and their inflammation. So adding semeglutide on top of a holistic health approach to the body means results now and results that last for a lifetime. And Tracy, can anyone use semaglutide? Are there some people that maybe should not uh, use that particular medication? Yeah, there are some contraindications, history of gastroparesis or pancreatitis, um, a certain thyroid uh, history of certain uh, family history of a certain thyroid cancer or medullary endocrine carcinoma. Um, I think chronic constipation, I always have that that um, that conversation with my patients, like if you're somebody who is chronically constipated, because that can be one of the side effects from it, um, we got to get that working first. Um, got to address that. Um, that's where we'll, we'll, that's where we go into how important gut health is, right? <clears throat> um, so yeah, there are some contraindications, but I think um, you know if, if if those are not on in the history, I mean, I think everybody benefits from it, honestly. That's great. And then Kimberly, I'm curious, how does Forum Health's medical weight loss program compare maybe to other semaglutide programs that are on the market? I think our biggest difference is the holistic approach. Um, many semaglutide programs are just low calorie diets without other support, and that's never going to work sustainably. So you get expert providers that are trained in functional and integrative medicine that know how to deal with all these underlying issues. You have a health coach that works with you directly to make sure that the diet is moving in the direction it needs to move for you because there is no one size fits all diet or exercise program. So you have, um, you have the health coach who guides you through those things, but also gives you greater accountability. You know, just coming in to get a refill and not seeing the provider talking to the health coach for months on end generally doesn't give you the result that you're looking for at the end. Um, also, the medication that we're using comes from a compounding pharmacy, so there's no wait list, there's nothing back ordered. You can get the medication within seven to 10 days, um, and insurance doesn't have to pay for it. It's much cheaper, actually, to go outside of the pharmaceutical world to get um, semaglutide. 
And then when you're finished with the semaglutide, you have a plan um, to maintain a healthy body moving forward. One of the pitfalls of many low calorie plans is the rebound weight gain at the end. And that's because nothing was done to, um, to really optimize the body while we were losing weight. So you get um, optimal health as an outcome rather than just, I lost weight and now it's coming back again. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of accountability and support that maybe you don't see with other uh, semaglutide or weight loss programs, um, which is wonderful. and really helps uh, people see real change in their life. Uh, ladies, this was so great. I could keep talking about this forever, um, but I would love to open up the class to questions from the audience. Um, I know I've already seen some coming in early on, um, but before we do that, I, I would love to know if there's one thing you would like our audience to take away from tonight. And Tracy, I'd love to start with you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we we don't do a great job of um, just, it, you need to take a step back on your health, right? If you if we talk, I always tell my patients, I love hormones, I love thyroid, I love all the things, but I love longevity and anti-aging even more. And so we have to address all of these things if we want to achieve weight loss, but we want to achieve that that health span that's really, really nice, right? So understanding that chronic long-term stress is a is a big um it, it, it's not good, right? It's it's going to decrease life or health span in general. So it's a whole system as approach. We got to look at it all, which I think is so important. Absolutely. And then Kimberly, um, what would you like to share? I would like to ask the women in the group to be graceful and kind to themselves and not to approach weight loss like it's punishment um, and not to abuse their bodies, to push their bodies in in a particular direction, when we truly support ourselves, take care of our bodies and give it all the things that it needs, weight loss happens fairly effortlessly. It doesn't have to hurt and it should not come with shame or guilt. I love that. That's a great, great uh, note to end on because um, we've been taught that our entire lives. So that's a really beautiful, beautiful way to end at least the first part of our conversation. Um, now I'd love to open up the class to questions from our audience. We'll probably take the next 10 to 15 min minutes to answer any of your burning weight loss questions. Here's a great one that just came in. Do you recommend any supplements to support weight loss? I think one of the most important things to support when you're trying to sustainably lose weight is mitochondrial function. So true metabolism actually lies in the mitochondria. The mitochondria are responsible for taking glucose or fatty acid and turning that into ATP. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It actually happens with lots of ingredients. Things like magnesium, thiamine, all of the B vitamins are necessary, ferritin is necessary, all of the other minerals. You have to have the ingredients to make that cycle run on a regular basis. And some of these things is very difficult to get in a standard American diet, and some are even difficult to get in a paleo diet just because of the way that we grow our produce. There's not a lot of minerals left in the dirt that we're using. So you really have to flood your body with these ingredients to make sure that your mitochondria can run fast enough to keep up with what you're asking of them. That's great. Tracy, do you want to add anything to that before we move to the next question or? No, I think, I mean, that that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, just a good, you know, a good multivitamin, make sure you're getting those nutrients. Um, if you decide to do, you know, semaglutide, like you're not going to be as hungry. So, um, you know, you 
those multivitamins are going to be beneficial regardless. Um, we have a couple at the clinic that we are kind of our go-tos. Um, vitamin D3 is another one that's just so important for all things kind of health, right? We want to um, optimize all the hormones in the body. Um, like Kimberly said, the B vitamins, magnesium is something that, uh, you know, is in about 400 different enzymatic pathways in the in the body. So that's also really important for insulin, insulin resistance. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, a good multivitamin, um, making sure you're going to the bathroom, like I said, um, I think, I mean, I think when you meet with the provider, it's so, it can be so individualized, but I think those are great, are great options for sure. Perfect. Uh, Lisa just wrote in, she said, can people with hypothyroid use semaglutide? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. You would want your hypothyroidism to be well supported. And that's always a part of our um, approach when a new patient comes in. A full thyroid panel is always run. And I find a lot of suboptimal thyroid function, people who are being um, underdosed or undercorrected, or maybe just it's been missed completely um, because it is easy to miss in some of the ways that it's tested. So absolutely, but we also want to optimize your thyroid status at the same time. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Stacy wrote in, what are some of the side effects of semaglutide besides constipation? I would say the, the other the other big one is nausea. Um, you know, I think when people complain of uh, fatigue and headaches, it's really because they're not getting enough nutrients in. So this is where like those beneficial, I mean, we do like IV therapy at our clinic to get those nutrients. We have to get that good multivitamin, things like that. Um, nausea and constipation, I really think those side effects can be, um, you know, it, it really comes down to the dosing of it. So I really, really emphasize that with my patients. Like I want you to listen to your body to try to avoid those side effects because people have to go to work. They got things to take care of, kids, whatever it, you know, maybe I don't want you on the couch uh, feeling miserable. So listen to your body is the biggest thing. So when you meet with a provider, they go over that dosing schedule. Um, and so that's that's the biggest thing. And I think too, that's another reason to go with Forum Health's medical weight loss program because you have the support of the health coach. If you're having side effects, they're there for that support um, where other programs may not have that level of individualized support which I think is really important when you're when you're on this type of program. Um, Susan wrote in a great question. She said, is semaglutide appropriate for someone who only needs to lose maybe 15 to 20 pounds? Is there a certain threshold of BMI or uh, pounds to lose that would qualify someone to be on semaglutide? Not in my opinion. Tracy, what do you think? I think no. it's appropriate for anyone who has extra pounds that they want to lose and has room to make improvements in their diet and lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So really for everyone, which is great. Um, great question. Are there any foods or medications you should avoid while on semaglutide? I mean, if you're on any other kind of like oral hypoglycemics or things to regulate your blood sugar already, that'd be um, something you have that conversation about. Um, you know, I kind of, it's interesting, right? And actually this is, um, studies will show people who are on semaglutide, they tend to kind of, um, some of them will like their curb, their, their sweet tooth, alcohol and nicotine, right? Like those are the three things that they're showing to kind of um, stay away from. So it's interesting, some of my patients who maybe have had a sweet tooth, what they'll find is that if they eat something really, really high in sugar, right? Where their body used to kind of be sluggish in that regard of getting rid of that, that extra sugar and, and, and working that way, um, semaglutide will kind of, make them not feel as well, right? Similar was like alcohol. My, I had a patient who said like, I used to be able to drink a couple you know, glasses of wine and now I feel like I just got hit by a bus. I drank the whole bottle. I'm like, well, it's kind of 
good thing, right? It's it's understanding your body's not letting your sugars kind of be high like that for a long time, which is so important for your health. Um, but you're also, and I, I think that's everybody's so different in that regard. But um, it does it does kind of help in that in, in some some of those patients. Okay, that's great. Uh, Carrie wrote in, can you talk to us about strategies for those of us with chronically low cortisol? Um, I typically use licorice root for chronically low cortisol because it bring, it blocks cortisol to cortisone. Um, what's the word? Uh, transformation. So you can keep cortisol around for longer. Um, it also helps to regulate aldosterone, which keeps sodium levels up in the bloodstream. Many people who have low cortisol also have low aldosterone, so they're prone to being dizzy. Their blood pressure runs low. They don't have a lot of stamina. They have salt cravings, those kinds of things. So licorice root really tends to help. I would also want to know what the other adrenal hormones are looking like, DHEA, pregnenolone, um, because those may need to be supported as well. Certainly, if it were severe enough, we could always use bioidentical cortisol, but that's something I save until the, the very last measure if I can't get it up in any other way. And then I also look for toxicity. Um, chronic low cortisol almost always is accompanied by some chronic long-lasting infection or chronic toxicity like mold or Lyme. So you would want to know why the cortisol is low, and then these are ways that you could support it. Right. Um, Carol wrote in and she said, what are the basic tests that you should ask your doctor to do when getting started with a weight loss journey? And I know you both touched upon a little, a uh, little bit of that earlier. Could you just go over that again? Just the basic test uh, for weight loss. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> um, if you can get your doctor to order or provider to order, um, you know, you're you're a good thyroid panel, which is not always just a TSH or that thyroid stimulating hormone, right? You need to understand if the, what, how much the thyroid is producing, if is it converging to that T3 hormone. Um, so a TSH, a free T3, a free T4 at minimum, I would say, I would always, I like to include other markers, including you know, thyroid antibodies. Almost 90% of people with low functioning thyroid is caused from an autoimmune type of thyroid condition called Hashimoto's. So, um, you know, I think thyroid's important. Hormones, um, looking at an estradiol, progesterone, testosterone at minimum for sure. Um, I also like to look at DHEA, like Kimberly was saying. Um, I think for weight loss, I think insulin resistance is such a prevalent reason for weight loss resistance. Um, so I'm always looking at, uh, you know, a hemoglobin A1C, which everybody knows. Um, I actually think it's a late marker. If you look at the literature, you know, a C-peptide and fasting insulin, I like to throw those on there too to see how your body's actually uh, handling blood sugar. Um, and then thyroid hormones. And then outside of that, I mean, that's probably minimum I would ask for um, when we, when I meet with my new patients, I'm sure Kimberly is the same. Like there's, it's definitely more expanded than that. Um, but I would, I mean, that's a good start. What do you mm -hmm. think? You can also add C-reactive protein, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. You can usually talk most providers into doing that. And that gives you um, the status of chronic, um, chronic low level inflammation. So your risk for cardiovascular disease, and obviously your risk for weight loss resistance due to chronic inflammation. Great. Um, Teresa just wrote in, how is semaglutide different from fentramine? You wanna take that one? Do you want me to take that one? I, yeah, I mean, I just think much different, right? Peptides are, um, you know, peptides in general, right? A string of amino acids put together. I like to think that they're the more like natural way that we can kind of improve cell to cell signaling, right? Um, so much different than that fenfen or fentramine, right? In that regard, um, I think it's it's doing so much more on an intracellular level um, where it's actually helping your body be more, you know, metabolically 
fit, right? It's it's helping things at a cellular level is what I would say. But and then you don't have the other kind of long-term side effects that the, that drug had has. Also, well, not thinner thinnermine is a stimulant. So if you are already struggling with chronically high stress hormones and that's contributing to your weight loss issue, then phenamine will work in the first couple of months and then your body will say no thank you and it will push back and when you come off of the medication you will regain that weight plus a little bit more because your body thinks phenamine is a famine and famines are bad and when famines come along we want to hold on to every calorie that we can and when the food comes back we store extra because that famine may happen again and the body's always thinking about survival so phenamine can really push you in the wrong direction from a long-term optimal health, sustainable weight loss um, thought process. That makes sense. Um, one person wrote in, can you share any success stories from a patient on semaglutide? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just talked to a, a guy today that he's down 73 pounds. Um, I mean, he's been a, a long-term patient of mine. We've been doing all the other things. Um, I mean, that's just a really good success story because I just followed up with him today. But um, yeah, I think I think the success in my book actually comes from like, yes, weight loss is happening, right? But again, when we look at these markers, when we look at CRP, when we look at homocysteine, we look at your sed rate, these, all these inflammatory markers, your blood pressure, cholesterol, like all these things are improving. That is a success story, right? When you're, when you're improving intracellular health, long-term health, um, but as far as weight loss, I mean, I really have not had anyone not have success on that, to be completely honest with you. And I think it comes down to understanding that you have to meet the body where it's at. You have to be addressing these other things um, and you have to, um, you know, do it at a way that you're, you're feeling really good on the peptide itself. Now, we've had a lot of questions just come in um, from several different audience members about intermittent fasting for weight loss. What are your thoughts on this? I think that um, it can be really harmful for some people. I think that that's the one size fit. It doesn't, not everyone's a candidate for it, right? Some people feel really, really good. Um, but if you're somebody whose adrenals are on fire, you have that chronic long-term stress. And again, going back to the famine thing, right? Like if your body's not ready and set up for that, it actually can be detrimental to your hormones um, amongst other things in the body. So um, I think, you know, there's maybe, you know, since they're like, you know, time-restricted dieting, I think, um, you know, similar things, I think you have to know where your body's at in terms of how it's going to affect you. Like I said, some people feel really good. Some people actually kind of does more harm than good. Right. And it kind of goes back more to, to listen to your body. I'm sorry, Tracy. Oh. I see more harm in women with keto dieting and fasting than I see in men typically, because women have so many more hormones that are being juggled. Um, so I typically do not put women on intermittent fasting consistently. If they want to try it, I give them two to three days a week to have time restricted eating. And then the other days to eat their three meals um, of the day. Men, I'm a little bit more liberal, but I just see so much hormonal imbalance when we do that for perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. Another question has come up about a different type of diet, uh, HCG. And maybe you can explain that to our audience who's not familiar. But basically the question is, what's the difference between semaglutide versus an HCG diet? Is one healthier over the other? Um, does it put your body in survival mode and drive down metabolism? An HC HCG diet is an incredibly low calorie diet. So we're talking about 300 to 500 calories a day, which is 
pretty significant stress to put on the body, especially if you don't know where you're coming from, from a stress perspective beforehand. So semaglutide, does, you don't restrict calories nearly as low. Um, so you're able to maintain the body above famine mode so that it feels comfortable losing weight. And then semaglutide gives you the added benefit of reducing inflammation, rebalancing your insulin and blood sugar, improving your cholesterol and your blood pressure. So you're getting so much more than weight loss where the HCG diet typically generates large amounts of weight loss the first time you do it and you regain. And then every time you do it after that, you lose less and less because you're just setting your body up to go into famine mode faster and faster. Um, Karen wrote in, there are different, many different kinds of magnesium. Which is the best to support your mitochondria? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think in my personal experience, my go-to, I think I always say there's like, you know, how many different types of magnesium out there, right? Depending on the type of magnesium, right? Magnesium citrate is going to make you hopefully go to the bathroom more. My favorite, my go-to is magnesium glycinate. I feel like it helps more kind of systemically detoxing hormones, cleave, uh, you know, it, sleep kind of turned down a little bit. Also really important for those insulin receptors. So that's my go-to. I mean, there's plenty, there's so many different types of magnesium, but that's, that's the one I tend to gravitate to. Sure. And then we had another question come in. Can I go on semaglutide if I've had gastric bypass surgery? Yes, you can use uh, semaglutide if you've had bariatric surgery in the past. That's not a contraindication. As long as you didn't develop gastroparesis as a complication of that surgery. Um, if you have gastroparesis, then it's really, really hard to use semaglutide. But otherwise, that's not a contraindication. Okay, that's great. And then I've seen this a few times from our audience. Everybody wants to know what happens after the initial appointment um, with a forum health provider, such as yourselves. What's uh, what's the next step after that initial appointment? So for me, and and Tracy, if it's different for you, please step in and say so. But for me, um, first appointment, you've done all this paperwork in advance, so I can understand who you are and where you're coming from, so that I know what labs you need. And I can typically determine some of the supplementation that you'll need, like magnesium glycinate and B vitamins and multivitamin protein powder, those kinds of things. But the next step is to get your lab work done so that when it's time for you to come back in to meet with me, I have that in front of me and we can talk about all of the things that we now need to address based on the information that we have. Um, and then typically that second appointment is about the same time you need your next vial of semaglutide. So we do that sort of simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very similar in my regard to um, <clears throat> depending on what the word, what we're coming in for, what the patient's coming in for, um, you know, labs is usually trying to figure out where to go next, right? So a lot of most commonly I'll do labs. Um, sometimes I'll go like straight for a gut health test, depending on like what they're coming in for. So it's very similar with my semaglutide patients. Now I'm saying semaglutide difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's addictive. I apologize. That's great. Um, well, I don't see any other questions coming in. Ladies, thank you so much. This was really helpful just to understand how our bodies work as we age. I know personally, I appreciate it um, and your time, your expertise on this topic. And of course, thank you to everyone for joining us tonight. Hopefully you, you found some value in this information. Um, if you'd like to learn more about treatment for weight loss, please visit us at forumhealth.com. Uh, you can schedule an appointment there or you can call us at 855 467-5922. Again, that's forumhealth.com and the number is 
1-800-273-5922. And then in the meantime, make sure you connect with us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We have tons of great health content on a variety of different health topics. Um, so please make sure you connect with us on all of those channels. And again, Kimberly, Tracy, thank you so much. And to everyone who joined us tonight, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Britt, for having me. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.